Hello and welcome on to another episode here of the ISO Ball Podcast with your host, Derek Terrio, your place to learn about the NBA on and off the court. So here we're back with another episode of This Week in Basketball, focusing on the week of November 4th to November 10th, uh, recording this uh, on Sunday at about uh, 8.04 p.m. here. And just like last week, we're going to go through uh, the league throughout the week with a little news section uh, sprinkled in here, and uh, we're going to go through the net the net rating leaders, uh, what I learned this week, and get to a couple games and some stuff I saw from those as well. So a um, bit of a quicker episode here, but uh, we'll get right into it right now. So let's start off with some news here. Uh, in no particular order here, but just some news that's piled up over the week. So we'll start off with Gordon Hayward fracturing his left hand. Uh, I believe it was in the game on Saturday. Tough loss there for the Celtics. Gordon Hayward really started to come back into his form and just unfortunate that uh, he wasn't uh, able to finish the game as he looks like he has a fracture in his hand. Now, I saw early report from, I think it was Keith Smith on Twitter, that it's a fourth metacarpal fracture and could be uh, back sooner rather than later with the best case scenario uh, being three weeks before reevaluation. So that would be very good. Uh, hopefully he's back in that time, but... Uh, in the meantime, you're going to see a lot more from the, the two wings, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, who hopefully can step up uh, in his place to uh, continue to play well for a Celtics team that has been surging uh, through the first nine or ten games here. So hopefully Gordon Hayward won't be too big of a loss for the Celtics, but uh, there, there's going to be some guys being Tatum and Brown they are going to have to fill in to try and replace his production. Uh, flurry of injuries here for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, Kyle Lowry fractured his left thumb uh, against, uh, I believe it was the New Orleans Pelicans on Friday. Uh, he's going to be reevaluated re in a couple weeks. Uh, tough loss there for the Raptors. Uh, Kyle Lowry having a, an amazing year uh, to start out here. You you thought there was going to be some kind of regression coming with uh, with Lowry being 33-34, but um, he's averaging, I think, 24 a game on ridiculous uh, shooting from, uh, from three-point land. Uh, so tough loss there for the Raptors. In addition to that, in the same game, Serge Ibaka had an ankle sprain. Uh, he posted a picture of himself in a walking boot. Uh, doesn't look good for Ibaka. It looks like he's going to be out indefinitely, uh, meaning so some of those Raptors uh, bench players are going to have to step up. Maybe we get a look at Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Uh, maybe uh, Nurse decides to dust him off and see what we have in him playing a little bit of small ball center lineup uh, alongside uh, whoever that may be with, obviously, Gasol looking to get more playing time in Ibaka's place as well. And finally for the Raptors, Patrick McCaw had knee surgery, uh, so he's going to be out several weeks, again, leaving the door open for some of the ro those rotation players like a Terrence Davis, a Matt Thomas, uh, possibly even a Stanley Johnson uh, to come in and hopefully replace some of those minutes. So three, three injuries for the Raptors here that's really going to test their depth over the next few games where they've got matchups against uh, the Lakers, which I believe is tonight, and uh, the Clippers coming up soon as well. So we'll see uh, how, how deep the Raptors really are and whether or not they can sustain these injuries. Uh, two guys coming back, uh, two stars coming back in the league, which is great to see. Blake Griffin and Paul George uh, do back this week uh, for the Pistons and uh, Clippers respectively. So good to see those two guys back. Blake Griffin could really give uh, the Detroit Pistons a boost, and obviously same with Paul George uh, giving that to the Lakers, so, or sorry, to the Clippers. So we'll see how that uh, plays out when those two guys get back, see how rusty they are, or perhaps uh, sharp. We'll see, uh, see as soon as they get on the court. Zach Collins uh, had shoulder surgery, is going to be out four months for the Blazers. Massive blow for the Blazers here. 
Uh, again, already, you already know uh, Yusuf Nurkic is out. Now Zach Collins is out, and we're relying big time on Hassan Whiteside to fill those those minutes for protection at the rim. Now, Zach Collins wasn't exactly a rim protector, but did definitely supply some solid minutes at the center spot. And now it's getting very scarce at center. Like, I'm not even sure who the backup center is for Portland right now. They may have to sign uh, somebody uh, off the street or try to trade for somebody in the near future. But Zach Collins out for most of the regular if not all of the regular season with that shoulder problem. And now it's uh, it seems that Yusuf Nurkic can't get back soon enough as they really need that depth at center alongside Hassan Whiteside uh, and just at the four spot in general. I mean, uh, if you want to play uh, you know, some of those guys like Mario Hazoni at the four, that's fine. But I think that's, uh, that's just going to be an issue in terms of depth there. John Collins suspended 25 games for taking a growth hormone releasing peptide 2. Uh, big loss here for the Atlanta Hawks, obviously. This is the third player uh, to be suspended for growth hormones. Uh, first, it was Wilson Chandler in the offseason of the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, DeAndre Ayton was last week, and now we've got John Collins uh, this week, all, all of whom got 25 games. Um, I did a quick Google search on what peptide 2 is in this growth hormone that he took. Uh, basically, I believe what the advantage he gains is is basically an increased appetite, which allows him to basically eat more and just be uh, active, more active, have a little bit more energy, and basically just gives you an energy uh, a boost, but an unfair one at that. So uh, I think he was right to be suspended. Clearly, uh, peptide 2 is on the banned substance list for the NBA, so... Uh, no gripes there about it. I think John Collins is appealing a suspension, uh, but I don't see him winning that whatsoever. So 25 games for John Collins. They've played some of those games already. Luckily, Trey Young is back from that ankle injury or else the Hawks would be in really big trouble. But um, uh, <clears throat> this is going to be a, a clear loss uh, for the Atlanta Hawks, and we'll see if they can survive it uh, as they were looking to you know, possibly make an 8 seed playoff push uh, with how Trey Young was playing so well. And now that... Uh, that might not be the case if uh, John Collins is out long enough and the Hawks can't uh, sustain his loss. So last one here, we got Dion Waiters, who hasn't played a game this year, suspended 10 games by the Miami Heat for eating an edible gummy on the plane. Uh, apparently he was given the gum, the gummies by a teammate, but wasn't willing to release the information on who the teammate was. So uh, the team suspended him for 10 games without pay. Uh, and that will have no actually no impact on the salary cap uh, for Miami I, because they're, I believe, right up against the tax there. Because he's suspended by the team, it'll have no impact whatsoever. But I do believe that Dion Waiters had a uh, likely incentive in his contract about number of games played. And I think I saw something on Twitter that uh, he won't get paid about $1.2 million because he won't reach the necessary amount of games played to reach that incentive. So uh, tough for Dion Waiters. I mean, uh, a bad situation uh, gets worse in terms of uh, Dion in the Miami Heat. So we'll see uh, how that plays out. But uh, yeah, so that'll wrap up the news. Uh, let's get into games of the week here. Uh, I didn't get to watch a ton of basketball uh, this week. I did watch like a few games here and there, but I didn't get to watch like the real exciting ones in, in full uh, other than a couple. So I'm just going to go through a couple that I saw here that I thought were uh, – I saw some interesting things, just two of them here. The first one uh, being – well, first of all, both games were on November 8th uh, in a Friday night that was jam-packed with action. We had Siakam going for 44 against New Orleans. We had uh, – I believe it was D'Angelo Russell went for like 51. We had Damian Lillard going for 60. Uh, so there was some – 
crazy, crazy action going on there. Um, but I want to I want to touch on the Lakers heat here. So the Lakers beat the Heat 95-80 uh, in regulation. And the reason I want to bring this up is because we've the Miami Heat have been known to, uh, for going to this zone defense uh, that has really stifled teams. And I really saw a lot of what the Lakers did to really beat that zone. And that's basically getting the ball into the middle of that zone defense. And obviously that is the traditional way on how you beat a zone defense. But getting the ball into the middle of the zone when you have Anthony Davis there becomes a real serious problem and a tough way to play zone against the Lakers so what would happen is is, is they'd move the ball around the perimeter. Anthony Davis would get that ball in the heart of the zone, and he would do two things. He would either pull up from the free throw line, which obviously Anthony Davis is more than capable of making that uh, mid-range shot, or he'd just take one dribble and power his way to the rim. And that just proved to be a real, real tough uh, guard for the Miami Heat, and they eventually just abandoned that zone defense uh, and uh, had to go back to man-to-man to cover uh, Anthony Davis and the Lakers. Uh, so I, just a little tidbit there that I thought was interesting the, that the the Lakers, although their offense not necessarily in the elite category, they still were able uh, to find a way to beat that zone, which is, uh, which is very good for them. Uh, just quickly looking at the Lakers' offensive rating, uh, 106 I have it here, which is good for 17th in the NBA. Um, outside of that, uh, the Lakers' defense... Uh, again, holding Miami to 80 points. Um, if you didn't know, which is kind of shocking, the Lakers actually have the number one defense in the NBA right now. 96-5 defensive rating. Uh, good for first in the NBA by uh, almost two, almost a full two points ahead of um, the Utah Jazz in second. And I got to do a deeper dive on what the Lakers are doing to stifle this defense. But just at first glance, it seems obviously Anthony Davis is uh, is a force defensively. But what I think I've, I'm seeing here is Avery Bradley is probably better than we we remember defensively. I mean, his time with the Clippers and Memphis last year kind of maybe made us forget how good of a peak defender he could be uh, when he was in his Boston days. But I think we're starting to get back to that point uh, for Avery Bradley in terms of his defense. And the energy of LeBron James has been just absolutely fantastic. Uh, he's really showing a lot of energy defensively, getting in passing lanes, really guarding his guy one-on-one, communicating, putting a lot more effort into the, into the defensive end than we've seen in a number of years. So I think between those two, that could probably explain a lot of it. Uh, but we're going to see when we get back because we got Rondo coming back uh, very soon. And, uh, you know, Rondo has this reputation of being a good defender. He's made some all-defensive teams. But in recent years, Rondo has not been a very good defender whatsoever. He's been probably at the bottom of the defensive point guard uh, rankings in terms of, you know, defense in his latter years. So we'll see how much Rondo affects that and whether or not he puts a dent in that defense. Um, but again, you know, LeBron resurgence defensively. Uh, Avery Bradley has had a resurgence defensively to some extent. Maybe Rondo will follow the same. Maybe there's been some defensive culture uh, built there from Frank Vogel, who uh, was uh, touted as a defensive coach, uh, that maybe uh, something has kind of been brought back to life there. Uh, for some of these guys, and maybe it's partly the system that Vogel has put in place. So that's something I got to look at a little bit more, but holding the Miami Heat to 80 points in in this era of the NBA is just fantastic stuff uh, for the Lakers. So so there was one game I thought that was interesting. Uh, The second game that I found interesting was the Brooklyn Nets beating the Blazers 119-115, to again, on that crazy Friday, November 8th. 
And this was the game that uh, I think Dinwiddie and Kyrie went for about 34 and 33 uh, respectively. And I think Damian, this is the game that Damian Lillard went for 60 points. Um, just fantastic stuff from Lillard in this game, although it did come at a loss. Uh, he didn't really have much help. I think the next closest uh, score was Anthony Simons with 15 points. But just going through a little bit about how Lillard was getting his points, I mean, Obviously, he's hitting the threes. He's got some nasty step backs. He's got some uh, crazy uh, off the dribble moves. He's got range. We know all that. But I think a, a lot of the way he was getting his points was actually driving to the rim. And he was doing a great job of using his uh, using the rim as protection on the one side so the shot blocker couldn't get there. And then uh, he just absolutely abused Jared Allen going to the rim and DeAndre Jordan going to the rim in this game. But they just couldn't stop him. He would just uh, dip that left shoulder into the chest, extend his right arm, and be able to get the ball over top of the shot blocker and, uh, th and through the net with, with very little problems. He was getting to the rim at will against shot blockers in the paint. And it just goes to show you just how good Damian Lillard is. I had him as the second best uh, ranked point guard uh, in the NBA. I believe I ranked him uh, seventh, if memory serves best, uh, as the seventh best player in the NBA before the season started. And, you know, it's just another reason why. I mean, he he's not just a guy that just launches from deep. He's got the, he's got the ability to get to the basket. He can shoot in the mid-range. He's got the whole offensive package. And I think this game really highlighted Damian Lillard's ability to get to the, uh, to get to the basket, not just with the athletic dunks, but also with the creative finishes, using his body to shield shot blockers uh, and all that good stuff. So, uh, really awesome stuff there from Damian Lillard. I thought uh, I should point out just how good uh, he was going to the rim in that game. And uh, I, I, I personally, I, th I thought it was necessary. So uh, great stuff from Damian Lillard and uh, good win for the Brooklyn Nets as well. Uh, just to kind of get back on track here after they were uh, starting to slip a little bit. So uh, the Brooklyn Nets uh, hopefully will get back on track with that win against the Portland Trailblazers. All right. So let's go through the net rating leaders in the NBA. And so let's give it a nice reminder of net rating. So offensive rating and defensive rating are basically how many, and for offensive rating, how many points does your team score per 100 possessions? Defensive rating, how many points does your team allow per 100 possessions? And net rating is your difference between the two. Net rating is a good overall snapshot, I would say, about how your team uh, is doing uh, with uh, offense and defense combined. So your your net rating can be good based on the fact that you have an amazing defense uh, and just an okay offense or an amazing offense and an okay defense. Both of those will be reflected in your net rating. So I'll go to the top 10 just to give you a snapshot of, you know, through eight or nine games here, who, who's kind of at the top uh, at, of the league in net rating and is really performing well. And you'll notice a lot of these teams – uh, at the top in net rating are some of the better teams and the teams at the bottom of the league in net rating are some of the not so good teams. And that's unfortunately no accident. So let's, let's do both. So top 10 in net rating right now, the Los Angeles Lakers with 9.5, a 9.5 net rating. Number two is the Boston Celtics with 9.3. Number three is the Milwaukee Bucks with 8.1. Number four, the Toronto Raptors, a 6.5 net rating. Number five, the Miami Heat at 5.2. Number six, the surging Phoenix Suns at a 5.0. Number seven, the LA Clippers at a 4.7. Number eight, the Dallas Mavericks at a 4.3. Number nine, the Sixers at 3.8. And number 10, the Jazz at 3.7.
The bottom of the league in net rating is as follows. The Detroit Pistons are a negative 2.9 net rating. The Cleveland Cavaliers, a negative 3.7 net rating. The Atlanta Hawks, negative 3.7. The Washington Wizards, negative 4.2. The Chicago Bulls, negative 4.6. The New Orleans Pelicans, negative 4.9. The Sacramento Kings, negative 5.7. The Charlotte Hornets, negative 7.3. The New York Knicks, negative 8.9. The Golden State Warriors, negative 9.2. And the Memphis Grizzlies, a negative 10.2 net rating. So again, that's just a nice snapshot of, you know, who's doing well, uh, who's not who's not doing as well. I mean, the only outlier is when it comes to these teams at the bottom of the league in net rating, the Charlotte Hornets at 4 and 5 at uh, 27th in net rating is the only real outlier here. Uh, the Pistons at uh, 4 and 6 may also be a bit of an outlier. But you look at the top of the league, Lakers 7 and 1. Celtics seven and one, Bucks six and three, Raptors six and two, Heat six and three, Suns five and three, uh, Clippers six and three, Dallas six and three, 76ers five and three, Jazz six and three. It's a good indicator of who is actually winning games uh, because it takes into account both of the offensive and defensive rating for a team, and it really uh, just kind of gives you a good snapshot, I would say, of. Uh, of the, how teams are doing. I, this is a this is a stat that I tend to go to uh, a lot when I just want a quick snapshot of you know what the league is looking like and stuff like that. Um, and so yeah, so that gives you a, an idea of who's doing well, who's not doing as well uh, right now. And obviously this will change throughout the year, and we'll we'll up we'll think uh, as we go along as well, along with other statistics that might uh, uh, that might be relevant throughout the year. All right, like I said, it was a shorter episode today, but uh, what I learned this week. Okay, so a big topic this week was load management, and this is not a new topic. Okay, load management has been talked about for a long time, even before last year when uh, Kawhi set out 22 games for the Toronto Raptors. But the topic has been brought up this uh, this year again, and there's a number of ways we can go about this. But I think what I, I think I have some questions about load management from the perspective of what is considered load. I think that to me is still a confusing question because we talk about, you know, heavy minutes and guys have a lot of tread on the t- on their tires and oh, they've been playing a lot of basketball. But I want to know what is considered the load portion of things. Like I don't uh, I want to know like what tangibly that is. Like because to me, if you are going hard in the summer, right, and you're training one-on-one, game moves, hours and hours of day, putting in, you know, two, three hours in the gym, uh, running running sprints, uh, practicing, you know, shots, step backs, separation moves, and really using your legs and your energy to be able to, um, to play on offense. How is that different from you playing a game uh, in the NBA where – you're not you don't have the ball every second like you would when you're practicing because uh, you obviously get the ball every single rep right you're repping your stuff out but there's times where you know you stand in the corner and you wait or uh, you sit obviously you're sitting on the bench and you're you're having a rest for a number of minutes or you just don't touch the ball for you know two or three possessions down the floor and then defensively what if you're what if you're hiding on a guy? Um, or just kind of not getting in the not getting in the passing lanes, or you're just you know kind of resting. The ball doesn't come to your player throughout the possession. Um, these are the sort of things I want to know 
Like, how do we determine the, the load? Like, what is considered the hard mileage? Like, what tangible things put the body, uh, put stress on the body to where you need to rest? I want to know those tangible things. And that's one question I have about load management. Another thing, another topic about load management is um, for the fans. They say the fans and the league and the team dynamic here. Um, the fact of the matter is that all three of them have different uh, have different goals. And that creates a problem and probably one of the reasons why I don't think load management is ever going to go away. The league has basically determined and said already, we have no problem with you resting guys, but you can't do it on games when there's national TV games. And that's what brought up this whole topic was that Kawhi, I believe, rested uh, during a national TV game against the Milwaukee Bucks. And people were saying, and Woj came out and said a tw- uh, sent out a tweet that's basically said uh, the cl- the league has ter- determined Kawhi as an injured player and that he's actually resting a knee injury. Um, I don't know where the knee injury came from or anything like that, but then the Clippers were fined fifty thousand dollars because Doc Rivers came out and basically said, "Oh yeah, Kawhi's fine." So they contradicted themselves by saying. Oh, you told us uh, the league that Kawhi was an injured player, but now you're telling the public that he's fine. So you're basically making the league look stupid because we basically gave you a free pass for letting Kawhi sit, but now you're gonna go out and basically say that Kawhi's not injured and make uh, and, and make us look like we're the bad guys for not uh, pe- uh, penalizing you uh, for doing what we said you couldn't do before the season even started. So that's interesting. Because it shows the different, uh, it shows the very different goals of the league, the team, and the player. The, the league's goal is ratings. We need people to watch these national TV games. We need our stars on the floor as much as possible. The league has changed the schedule around, uh, eliminated four games in five nights, limited back-to-backs, did all this stuff to make sure that the star players are on the floor for as many games as possible. That's the goal of the NBA. Ratings. And how can we keep the star players on the floor at all times? For the team, the team's goal is simple. We need to win a championship. We need to win a championship. And we saw that Kawhi Leonard rested 22 games for the Raptors last year. He came out publicly and said he wouldn't have been able to go as he did in the finals had he not been load managed throughout the regular season. So there's already a formula there that says, okay, this works, right? This works. Toronto did it. They won a championship. So why can't we do it? That's what the Clippers are basically saying. And I'm sure that even before, uh, even before the season started, the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard had to have this conversation. Hey, Kawhi, we will rest you as much as you need. We'll give you as much time off. You determine your schedule. All of all of this, dude. The guy's Finals MVP and one of the greatest playoff runs we've ever seen from an NBA player. He's going to be able to determine when he can and, and cannot go. And, and if the Clippers uh, want to be an attractive destination uh, to re-sign Kawhi in two years, then they're surely going to be listening to his body and uh, being pro player as opposed to you know doing what they can uh, to try and put him on the floor at all times. Okay? And f- so that's the team's perspective. We need to look good and be pro player. Uh, to other pro- potential free agents we want to attract in the future, and we need to win a championship. Those are the two goals of the organization. The goal for Kawhi Leonard is, hey, I want to win a championship, but I also want to be healthy. I don't want to be injured, 
right? I don't want to do all the, I, I don't want to, you know, be injured at the crucial times of the year. So I need to make sure that I am listening to my body and sitting out and stuff like that. And Jalen Rose made an excellent point to this. We have basically as a uh, fans and media and the NBA community has basically dumbed down the regular season. Like we put zero stock into the regular season and what it means for a player's legacy. So Kawhi is basically saying, well, if all the talk is, you know, rings, rings, playoff performance, playoff stats, all this sort of stuff, then why am I killing myself in the regular season when we know April, May, and June is when the real basketball starts and where my legacy is made? So why should I risk that portion of my legacy and be labeled injury prone when I could just sit out games in the regular season and no one will even remember or blink an eye about it? And that's that's very true. Like Jalen Rose has an excellent point when he says that. That is so true. Imagine that Kawhi looked at the playoffs uh, the same way he looked at the regular season. Of course he'd be playing, but nobody does that, right? We've glorified the playoffs. We've glorified championships, and we've dumbed down the regular season as it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. All that matters is what you do in the playoffs. And so if that's going to be the case, then Kawhi is going to prioritize his body and his games accordingly. He's going to sit out. Uh, those regular season games were on back-to-backs or where he doesn't feel right, and he'll be ready and good to go for the playoffs. And if th- if that's the case, that's, as fans, what we've signed up for. That's Kawhi Leonard, and if you don't like it, then don't watch the Clippers. That's, the, that's basically it. But I am never going to fault a player for not uh, choosing not to play when he doesn't feel like he is able to play. Like, the, we don't know his body. We don't know what he's going through. Uh, and I'm going to give a, a player of that caliber the benefit of the doubt 10 times out of 10 when you when you ask me, hey, do you think uh, Kawhi's uh, you know, being a wuss or uh, maybe sitting out uh, more than he should? You know what? No. No. I'm, I, I personally am on the side of Kawhi Leonard. He can do whatever the hell he, he wants because he is that damn good. He has earned it. He's proven that he's able to come through in the clutch when it matters. Uh, and uh, put on a show when it matters as well. He's one of the top three players in the NBA, and he's he's earned the right to be able to listen to his body without us judging him. So that's that is my that is my personal opinion. But on the other side, I do, in turn, have more respect for people who can go out there 82 games a year and ball out. So your James Hardens, your Giannis Antetokounmpo's, like. Uh, those guys that get my respect massive LeBron James, you can throw into that category as well. Those guys that get mad respect for me because, uh, the NBA season is a grind. Like it really is. So for me, you get no, I don't dock you any points because you have to sit out because your body doesn't feel right, but you'll sure, you're sure you will sure get some bonus points from me if you're able to play a full 82 games because that goes to show your toughness. If you sit out to me, that's not weak. That's not weak if you're maintaining your body and you have a, and you have an injury that you're trying to manage throughout the season. That's that's not weak for me. But if you can go out there and play all 82 games, you get bonus points from me, man. That's that's tough. I respect your grind uh, and I, I respect uh, mostly it's the star players, right? The high usage guys like the Giannis, the Hardens, the LeBrons, the, uh, the Westbrooks. Those guys that can go out and maintain high usage uh, and play all those games and be durable. Uh, much respect to those guys and uh, they... Uh, uh, I, I see I see them in a, in a good light, personally. Well, again, not docking anything from Kawhi Leonard. I just uh, I think it's important to point out that it's incredible uh, what these uh, these athletes have trained their bodies to do and um, create uh, an advantage for themselves to go out and play 82 games 
uh, of high intensity basketball and not be able to sit out like that's that's kudos to you. That's hundred percent respect. So that'll wrap it up for this week in basketball. Uh, thanks for listening again to the ISO ball podcast. You can find me on Apple podcasts, uh, Podbean, Spotify, uh, Google podcasts, player FM, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, if you could rate it five stars, that would be incredible. Uh, I love the support. Uh, I love the, to be able to hear some feedback. It's good to hear, uh, some of my friends giving me some feedback recently, and I'd love to hear some feedback from some strangers too. That would be, uh, absolutely fantastic. So, uh, thanks again for listening and we will be back next Sunday with another episode. Till then.